Father, as we uh, think through what we've just seen, we know that the children are precious to you. You said to allow them to come to you and not to hinder them. And Lord, I'm grateful that this week there were folks who encouraged them to come to you. And Lord, we're grateful that there were some young lives redeemed this week. Lord, we pray that you'd superintend these young lives and that you'd use Friendship Bible Church in every way to encourage them in their walk, that they might know you and love you and serve you. Lord, for these moments that we have, I pray that you'll uh, help us to come apart from all that would trouble us, all that would distract us, that we might see you and you only. We ask it in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen. You know, in James, it tells us that we're to confess our sins one to another, right? Well, I guess I have to make a confession. Over the last couple of weeks, I have watched way too much Fox News. And I have a habit that about 10 o'clock, I go upstairs into our room, I have a recliner and a TV, and then I bounce back and forth between the Indians game. Some of those have been pretty sad, although I'm an Indians fan, they're doing well. And, and then the rest of the time is devoted to Fox News. And I'm not going to talk about the debt crisis. I may touch on it, but you've heard enough about the debt crisis. We don't need to talk much about that. But I was thinking about uh, the investment advice I've heard on Fox. I don't have much to invest. Uh, high finance to me is change for a dollar, so I don't worry too much about it. But yet, it affects our world, it affects our country. And so I kind of listen to what they have to say. Here's what I learned this week. Uh, don't invest in the U.S. government, because we've been uh, derated as a credit uh, risk. So be careful there. Don't invest in banks because I think interest rates now, as a rule, are down under 1% or some ridiculous amount. Let's see, what's that leave? The stock market, uh, it was down 6% this week, I think. So be very careful there. How about mortgages? How about homes? How about real estate? It's always been said that real estate is the safest investment, right? Well, in our area, real estate's off 15 or 20%. In Florida, it's off about 50%, Southern California. It's terrible. So what do we do? Well, we're going to talk about investing, but we're going to talk about investing something a lot more important than our money. We're going to talk about investing our life. Look at Psalm 1 with me. Psalm 1. Bill said that I should quit in about 35 minutes or so. He said it's a hot day. He didn't really say that. But I promise that we will not go too long this morning. I said that the last time I spoke. And I'm not sure that I fulfilled the promise. Speaking of guarantees, you know, I have a guaranteed investment. I guarantee you a return on this investment. Now, I can't guarantee you a return on any investment of your money. Jim might be able to help us on that. He might know something about investing. Ray might have something, something about investing. I can't help you with that. But I have on the highest authority that we can have a guarantee on our investment. But the investment we're talking about is our whole life. 
It's everything that we are. It's our energy. It's our resources. It's our heart, our mind. And I believe that's what Psalm 1 talks about. It talks about investing our most important assets. We're going to, to start with verse 6 for just a minute. I'm going to read the psalm in a moment. But I want to start at verse 6 because I believe we see in verse 6 the guarantee, the success. Then we're going to come back and work through the psalm for a few moments. But it's really a story of two lifestyles. It's a story of two different people who have invested their life in different ways. And at the end, I think it's good for us just to reassess where we want to invest our lives, our resources. Look at verse 6 for a moment. Verse 6 says, The Lord knows the way of the righteous. And we're going to see in a moment how he defines the righteous. But the way of the ungodly will perish. Just two types of people. He defines some as the righteous and some as the ungodly. Only two categories. And we'll see how God differentiates those. But you know the knowing here, obviously God knows all. And God knows the end of every man. And so when he says that God knows the way of the righteous, there's something more than just a mental understanding. There's something more than just having a knowledge of where they're going. There's an input into that. And, and what he's saying to us here in that sixth verse is that uh, God will give the assurance by blessing that life, by superintending that life. In fact, some translations, I, I think, probably use a word like... Uh, uh, God assures the way of the righteous, or uh, God guides the way of the righteous. And so it's more than just knowing. It's that the Lord looks after and superintends the way of the righteous. You know, I see these children. I have 11 grandchildren between the ages of about 1 and 15. And I pray for those grandkids as usual. And I've said this before, but I pray for them. And, and what do I pray? You know, if, if you were to go to the general population of our country and say, what do you want for your children? What do you think the response might be? What do you think it might be? I think probably most people would say, I want them to be happy, wouldn't they? Or most people, and then they might mean something different by that. Some would maybe say, I want them to have peace. Uh, I want them to be prosperous. But it, it would fix on this life. And I think that if you did a cross-section, that the most common response, and someday I might try this, would be, I want my children and grandchildren to be happy. I want them to be happy. That's not an unreasonable request. And it seems like that's something that we should ask God for our grandchildren, and our children, in my case, our grandchildren. But there's something much more. And look, read this psalm with me. And let's see, based on this psalm, how we might pray for these children. Psalm 1. You know it. In fact, uh, one of the dangers of speaking from such a well-known psalm is that you probably have a lot to compare it to. You've probably read sermons and heard sermons on Psalm 1. And there's some powerful sermons out of Psalm 1. And so let's not compare it to what you've heard in the past. Let's just ask the Lord to open it up a little bit to us this morning. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. 
But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also does not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Then God be not so, but they're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You see it at the beginning of the psalm, that word blessed. And that's a rich word. You know, some translations, you might have one that use the word happy. But happy is a pretty cheap word to us because it's, it kind of relates to happenings, the present circumstance. And that's not what he's saying at all here. He's talking about a richness of joy that wells up from the soul. He's talking about a life that is satisfied in the depths of their being. And so that, that happiness, that blessing that he's talking about is, I think, what we would pray for all of our kids and grandkids. Isn't it? Isn't this what we want for them? And then look at how you formulate that. Look at what he says that they, that they uh, can do to achieve that, to have that. You know, as I read through this, the, the thing that uh, occurred to me, I just want to kind of interject something here. 1 John 5, I think the last part of verse 11 and 12, uh, says something like this, that God has given to us eternal life. And... Uh, this life is in his son. Now notice the tense of that. It's present tense. God has given to us eternal life. And his, this life is in his son. This, he that has the son has life. Uh, that's a present possession. It's something I already have. And he that does not have the son does not have life. So according to that, how do you know when a person begins eternal life? Question makes sense? How do you know if a person has eternal life? And when does it begin? Well, it begins when they have the Son. You know, eternal life is not something that starts when we die. Eternal life that starts when we confess Christ as Savior and Lord of our life. The difference between having eternal life and not having eternal life, according to that text, is do you have the Son? Is Jesus Christ Savior and Lord of your life? And if you do have the Son, you have eternal life. Pretty simple stuff, isn't it? And if you don't have the Son, then you don't have eternal life. So, as you enter into this psalm, we're talking about somebody who has eternal life, but we're also talking about, I think, people who, I think there's both people in view here. You know, we can, as Christians, invest our life in a thousand different ways and all of them worthless. But we can invest our life in the Lord Jesus Christ and have it fruitful. Uh, have you ever known someone who names the name of Christ and yet invests their life in things that are transient and useless? Of course we have, we all have. So the, the message of the psalm, I believe, is equally apropos to the unbeliever and the believer. It's the message to all of us about how we invest our life. So look back to the psalm again. 
and thinking of that, that, that uh, this is an eternal life that has already started when we confess Christ as Savior. It's not just pie in the sky. You know that same pie in the sky you were here before? You guys are older, heard it. You know where it came from? A guy named Joe Hill back in 1910 or something uh, was uh, a uh, kind of a militant advocate for migrant workers. And Joe Hill came into town, uh, I guess, on some kind of a campaign, I think 1910 or 11, and he was encountered by the Salvation Army. And the Salvation Army was offering food and help to the people who had needs. But, of course, they were also offering the Lord Jesus. And one of the songs that the Salvation Army sang was a song called In the Sweet By and By. You know that song written by 1850 or 60. And they sang that old hymn on the streets, and they sang it in their missions. And so Joe Hill heard that. And he, in a reaction, as a parody, he wrote a little poem. In fact, I went online. Internet does have some value. He went online and he wrote this. He, he wrote, uh, this is just the end of it, but you will eat by and by in that glorious land above the sky. Work and pray, live on hay. You'll get pie in the sky when you die. And Psalm 1 isn't talking about pie in the sky when you die. Psalm 1 is talking about the whole and fruitful existence, which starts that eternal life of everything that we are, and how that Lord blesses that. And so, look at that first verse again. Just a few moments, let's just think through what he says here. I think these are some things that a wise investor does not do. And there's a progression here. A wise investor, he does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And you kind of get the picture, the walk, sit, or walk, stand, sit. It's a progression of interest. It's a progression of involvement. First, I'm just walking by and it catches my uh, interest. I can't allow that to happen. Because the next thing that could happen is I might stop and begin to interact with whatever it is. And then finally, I might find myself seated. And, and I think that's picturing someone who's totally engaged in it. He's sitting and interacting totally with, with this ungodliness. And also notice the three things that, that he says that we're not to partake of. There's also a progression there, I believe. He said that we do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, scornful sinners, ungodly. The ungodly is probably just the world around us. Uh, what percentage of the people in our population are, are people who would consider themselves godly? Not a very high percentage. So as we walk through life, we're going to encounter ungodly at every front. It's all around us. You turn the TV on, you read the newspaper, it's all around us. So ungodliness is more general. But then he, he points to sinners. I think that's a progression downward. That sinners are those who have openly, blatantly disregarded God. Not just that they're, they're not considering Him, but now they've gone in His face. And then finally there's another progression, that's the scornful. 
Now, where did your mind go when you think of the sinners and the ungodly and the scornful? My mind immediately goes to a out-and-out, ugly uh, lifestyle that involves sin that we would define as the darkest of sin. In other words, things like illicit sex and illicit drugs and thievery and hurting other people, murder. And that's where our mind goes when we think of these things. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. Some of the most ungodly people in this world are people that wear a white shirt and a tie to work. There are people that have great prestige in their vocation. You know, probably the, the center of ungodliness in our community would be the institutions of higher learning because they stand totally opposed to all the values. They've rejected him and they scorn him. I happen to catch just a little bit of the, this isn't a political uh, view, just, just a statement. The governor of Texas, his name Rick Perry, all right, I, I caught a little bit of a, a newsreel that Rick Perry went to a, and helped organize a prayer meeting for our country. I think there were 30,000 people there. So, what does the news do to that? The, the news takes a terrible view of that. And I wrote just a note, uh, not that anybody's going to read it, but say, doesn't it ever occur to the political pundits that someone just prays because they believe God hears and answers? I mean, doesn't it occur to them that someone has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and would go to Him and seek Him for help for our country? Don't they think that could be? No, because they're scornful. Because in the depths of their being, they do not regard God. So it's not the people in the pub that we need to be concerned about. It's the people that are in, in seats of higher learning or in our political leadership. Those are the people we have to be careful of. And you know, the, the greatest peer pressure that anyone in our culture faces are the professors at Kent State. About eight or ten years ago, we had a creation conference. And we invited a professor from Matthew, who was in a supervisory capacity. He was teaching in the medical school. And he came in and taught about creation. He did a great job. I wish I could think of his name. He lives just east of here. But he also talked about, on a you know, private level, the pressure that he faces. Because he's probably the only one in that entire department that believes in a creator God. And there is enormous peer pressure on these people to acquiesce, to give in. And this is what they face every day. Be careful we don't sit in the seat of the scornful. And listen, we're going to take a little heat. We're going to take a little heat if we stand for God. We're going to take a little heat if we do not walk in the council of the ungodly or stand in the past of sinners or sit in the seat of the Lord. But we're going to take a little heat. But look what he does do. Those are things he doesn't do. In verse 2 it says, But, the contrast, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. What is it like? What's his heart take? Take pleasure in it. It takes pleasure in the things of God. You know, we had a class downstairs.
upstairs in the first week, Jeff will remember, the first week we said, uh, here's the question you need to ask. And if it doesn't make sense what we're studying, how it, how it applies to us, then ask this question. And the question was, Jeff, so what? And you know, really, that's kind of what the psalmist is saying. The word meditate, you know what it comes from? It comes from the word to mutter. To mutter. So we are constantly saying to ourselves as we work through the precepts of Scripture, so what? So what? So what? What's that mean to me? How do I live it? How do I flesh it out? Uh, what does this mean when I go to work today? What's it mean when I invest my money this week? What's it mean when I make a decision as to whether to buy this or that? What's it mean to me? That's what meditating on the Word of God is. It's talking to ourselves all the time about the things that we're learning. It's that constant muttering that goes on in our hearts. Be careful about doing it in public. You know, that people begin to look at you kind of funny when you mutter in public. But, but you're constantly asking yourself if you work through Scripture, so what? So what? So how do I do this? So what? What's it mean to me? And how do I flesh this out? Well, his delights in the law of the Lord, and in the law he meditates day and night. And then look at the result of this investment. You'd be like the tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit whose leaf does not wither. You know, there's uh, probably uh, more than a half hour to spend there, but uh, just a couple thoughts very quickly. The, the picture is clear. If you see a tree planted by the water, what do you see? You see a tree that has long and strong roots. You see stability. And the picture here is of stability. The person who invests themselves in this way has a stability to their life that doesn't relate to the circumstances around them. doesn't relate to whether the debt ceiling is raised or lowered. You know, one of the things that I watched this, and I watched it pretty close, I'll confess, and I wondered what was going to happen last Tuesday. Are we really going to have some sort of crisis? Um, and I editorialized just a little. You know, we had enough income to pay Social Security and to pay our soldiers. That was not going to happen. And for the politicians to come out and say that, that in the default we weren't going to be able to pay Social Security, income from taxes would have covered that. And that was a terrible misrepresentation in trying to frighten people. But I was thinking, you know, maybe this is a good thing for our country, to shake our security so that we realize that the United States of America is not our security. Wonderful country. And we need to pray for our country. But our security... When our roots go down deep to the water, it's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And it's no place else. And not only that, that it will bring forth its fruit. An apple tree is designed to what? Bring forth apples. And a Christian is designed to what? Bring forth Christ. Let this mind, this attitude, this heart be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Uh, who emptied himself of his glory and came to earth to serve. And, and that's who we are. We are Christian, little Christ. So, that as our roots go deep, and we draw from the waters, the word, I believe the picture, then we become fruitful. And then, finally, there's another little saying that the leaf will not wither. 
are not going to dry up, and it's not going to relate to the circumstances in our culture. Not going to go there. It's going to relate to our roots. That's why we're not going to dry up. Then there's a terrible contrast drawn in these last couple verses, and listen, just spend a moment or two looking at them. Verse 4, different investment philosophy. He says the ungodly are not so. Just reverse everything we've said. Uh, the ungodly does walk in the counsel of the ungodly. The ungodly does stand in the path of sinners. The ungodly does sit in the, sit in the seat of the scornful. His delight is not in the law of the Lord. And he does not meditate it. He doesn't think it through. So the ungodly is not so. All of those things that we've said, reverse He's just the opposite. He uh, disregards God's word. Dis disregards the, the precepts of God's word. And look at the outcome in verse 5. Therefore, because he disregards it, the ungodly will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Waste and judgment characterize the life of the ungodly. Why? Because the Lord knows the way of rightness, but the way of the ungodly will perish. Remember the story of uh, Jim Elliott and the five missionaries that uh, went to the Ark and his well-known story. Uh, I think Elizabeth Elliott wrote the book in the 60s called Three Great Gates of Splendor. If you've never read it, read it. And then the movie came out, I don't know, 10 years ago. What was it called? End of the Spear. That was done by, I think, primarily by Nate Saint's son, Nate Saint being one of the five missionaries that was killed there. And I think this happened in the late 50s, 56. But Jim Elliott has motivated thousands upon thousands of young people to give their hearts to Christ. And this one quote has uh, just resounded through the ages. And I think it's applicable to what we're trying to say today. Jim Elliott said this. You've heard it before. He's no fool who gives, and let me just say, invests, what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The blessed man here is no fool because he's giving what he can't keep, his life, to gain what he can't lose. And that's a forever with God. Two people, two choices, two lifestyles, two ways to invest ourselves. Which one makes sense? You know, what do we want to be the epitaph at the end? That the Lord knew his way, or that his way perished? It seems so simple, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem like an easy choice? Well, then there are some steps. If we make that choice, then we need to be careful where we walk. And then we need to be careful where we stand. And we need to be careful where we sit. And we need to be careful what we put into our minds and hearts. And we need to fill it with the precepts of God.